This is the History of the World podcast with me, Chris Hasler. And you're listening to Volume 3, The Classical World. Episode 44, The Eruption of Mount Vesuvius. It was on the 16th of August 1763 that a large rock of marble was excavated in the Kingdom of Naples. On that piece of marble was the following inscription. By virtue of authority conferred upon him by the Emperor Vespasian Caesar Augustus, Titus Sudius Clemens, Tribune, having instigated the facts and taken measurements, restored to the citizens of Pompeii public places illegally appropriated by private persons. Emperor Vespasian was clearly on a programme of righting wrongs to the citizens of Pompeii, as he was likely to be doing for many Roman citizens in many Roman cities in the aftermath of the irresponsible reign of Nero. However, there were two other factors about this marble stone that have superseded the contents of the inscription. Firstly, it was among the first major archaeological breakthroughs, as archaeology was quite a new science during the 18th century. Secondly, what we were to discover about this mysterious city called Pompeii has become an icon of a real-life apocalypse, which has stirred the imagination and the horror of many who have become privy to its detail. Over the last 250 years, much excavation and preservation work has been performed at this site, the site of a buried and forgotten Roman city, complete with theatres, baths, temples and other public and private buildings. As the excavation revealed more and more of the ancient city, strange human body-shaped cases were discovered and the casing was hardened volcanic ash and pumice, making it obvious that this city was likely overcome by an eruption of the nearby volcano known as Vesuvius. Vesuvius would have been a familiar friend to the residents of this city and the countless generations that had lived there before them. However, this familiar friend turned out to be the city's ultimate destroyer in an event that was expertly established to have occurred in the year 79. The 19th century archaeologist Giuseppe Fiorelli was given the duty of becoming the director of excavations after some uncontrolled work coupled with theft of uncovered artefacts had been taking place there during the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Fiorelli developed a means by which to use plaster to fill the voids within the solid ash cases to create a likeness of the human body that was once inside. The plaster casts served to be a version 
of the last moments of the unfortunate victims of Vesuvius's fury. Nowadays, we can use all of our knowledge and discoveries to create an idea of what Pompeii was like and how the events of the final hours of this city's existence would have been perceived by the population of the city. Seventy-nine. Thousands lived in the city of Pompeii back in the first century. Any adult that had lived their whole life in Pompeii would have had memories of an event that happened 17 years earlier when an earthquake shook the city in a somewhat unfamiliar experience to the Pompeians that must have been a message from the gods. Earthquakes were known to the Romans in general though and we can see the earthquake of 62 discussed in a document created by Seneca the Younger who is a character that we have encountered previously as a Roman philosopher and advisor to Nero who would have been the Roman emperor at the time of the quake. It appears that evidently there was structural damage discovered at Pompeii that is likely to refer to this earthquake such as a repaired baking oven that had a crack caused by the quake plastered in. The residents at Pompeii would have had absolutely no idea that this was the Earth's way of warning them that something catastrophic was brewing. There is every reason to believe that the people of Pompeii would have had absolutely no idea of what a volcano actually was or any idea about volcanic eruptions. They would have viewed Vesuvius as if it were a regular mountain. Pompeii was a bustling, busy and modern Roman city. If you were living in Pompeii and you wanted some bread, you may like to make it yourself, but if not, then it would be much more convenient to buy a loaf from the local bakery. The bakery would have certainly have been very busy, especially the largest ones in the city, who would have also been milling their own flour using donkey-powered grinding machines. In fact, the bakers would have owned a lot of machinery including dough mixing basins which would have been used to create dough suitable for baking with the result being a loaf of bread. Dozens of loaves were oven baked that very day for the paying public to buy and enjoy. It is likely that much of the bread was taken to the Michellum which was a vibrant marketplace full of different kinds of produce. Areas of the Michellum were set up so that food could be washed before being prepared for sale. So this would have very likely have been fish as evidenced by the presence of fish scales among the excavation. The fish would have been brought to the Michellum from the Gulf of Naples, maybe from the seaside town of Stabia, before being washed and prepared. The Michellum itself had been damaged by the earthquake of 62, but it was undergoing repair, albeit slowly. Livestock was readily available. You could be walking home from the Michellum with a new sheep if you were so inclined. Fruits and vegetables, of course, especially with the wash areas available to help keep the food as fresh as possible. Storage areas would have been north-facing to avoid direct sunlight. Eggs and nuts would have been available to supplement and add variants to the daily diet. It would have undoubtedly have been an energetic place to visit, 
it would have been very likely to have been visited by visitors to Pompeii as well as the local residents. Maybe they were enticed by the local Vesuvinum, the wine of the region of Vesuvius, which could have been purchased and taken home. Many businessmen would have benefited from the presence of the market, and they may well have employed the services of a bank to protect their finances. The bankers would have worked in an established building, keeping written records on beeswax tablets, possibly kept safely in an iron chest. However, other written records such as books would have been written on papyrus and kept in the library of the city. Of course, materials of this nature would have also been useful in schools, the papyrus books for reference and the wax tablets for practice. Young children would have attended school but there were also schools for the gladiators as well who would have performed at the theatres of the town. These gladiatorial events would have been advertised throughout the town for the information of the townspeople who would have probably planned their day around the event. During the middle of the day, the chances are that you would have likely headed over to the public baths to cool down and avoid the baking hot sun. Though some of the wealthier citizens may have had their own residence with their own private baths. It is also possible that the residents of Pompeii may have paid to stay at a private holiday villa, such as the Villa San Marco near the seaside town of Stabia, which we mentioned previously. However, this particular holiday villa had been severely damaged by the earthquake of the year 62. The warning earthquake to all in this area. Such places may have offered employment opportunities as they would have certainly have needed regular maintenance and even though the surroundings would have been made attractive by the creation of mosaics and frescoes, the gardens would have had to have been well maintained and the crops in the adjacent fields would have had to have been tended. Maintenance of the city would have been important. Such highly populated and civilised centres would have had to have had public services to keep the city clean and tidy. Sanitisation would have had to have been maintained. The theatres in which the gladiatorial battles would have had people there to prepare the area to tidy the seating area from debris and rubbish that may have gathered there in everybody's absence or indeed from the last show. Smaller areas may have hosted plays where the audience would have sat underneath cloth covers. The residents of Pompeii and those smaller towns closer to the coast such as Stabia and Oplontis would have had an eye for making their surroundings attractive and that is sometimes lost on us history enthusiasts in the modern age due to the fact that colours don't survive the test of time very well and often we're just left with the blandly covered masonry or stonework. However, we can get big clues about the decorative ambitions of the Romans here as we have discovered those beautiful mosaics and frescoes. Possibly the most iconic one being an absolutely astonishing mosaic of Alexander the Great, which is estimated to have contained approximately a million and a half small coloured stones. Other pleasures available within the city would have been of a carnal variety. A seafaring merchant who may have travelled into Pompeii after docking at one of the seaside resorts such as Stabia or Herculaneum may have taken some pleasure by visiting a city brothel 
where a menu of services would have been available to muse over. Images relating to fertility wouldn't have been as taboo as we may experience in today's societies. Sexual intercourse and the wonder of life would have been seen as something to be worshipped, with images of aroused male gods being seen as something to be celebrated, rather than something to be seen as pornographic and shameful. We can also feel quite confident that there was a good level of literate people in Pompeii, which is something that we haven't suggested about any societies really so far. Certainly, we could only expect higher than average levels of literacy in urban centres, where educational establishments would have been available, accessible and even affordable. Many affluent families would have chosen to educate their children privately at home, with some even utilising slaves as teachers. Many temples existed in Pompeii dedicated to the many Roman gods within their pantheon. However, in a city of this size, legislation would have been of paramount importance and so we can recognise a very impressive basilica was erected as a building of authority overlooking the public forum. Much in the way of civil and commercial administration would have taken place here. Pompeii was modern, highly populated and cultured. Those with wealth would have enjoyed a varied and interesting way of life in which they enjoyed a variety of foods and a variety of activities. They would have been able to travel out of the city to enjoy the nearby seaside resorts overlooking the bay which we call the Gulf of Naples, overlooking the island of Capri where the former Roman Emperor Tiberius retired to and the island of Ischia which may have been the first location that classical Greeks colonised many centuries before. The residents at Pompeii had been rocked by the destructive earthquake of the year 62, and although life went on successfully, not all damage had been repaired by the time of the fateful events of the year 79. During the year 79, tremors could be felt before a severe one on the 20th of August served as a warning of the inevitable. The 24th of August. Three days after the severe tremor, the residents of Pompeii went to bed on the night of the 23rd, and many of them would have been blissfully unaware of the stream of ash being propelled skywards, perhaps somewhat undramatically, from the centre of Vesuvius, just nine kilometres northwest of the centre of Pompeii. As the sun rose on the city of Pompeii, the residents would have sensed that something was not right. But with the tremors that they had experienced, they may have had no reason to believe that this was going to be a terrible day. But the ashy cloud at the top of Vesuvius would have looked slightly ominous, and the ground may have felt unsafe. Some would have been very concerned about this, but others would have been determined to get on with their lives, baking bread, setting up the market, washing fish, droving livestock, preparing foodstuffs for sale, crushing grapes for wine, writing financial records, opening the library, going to school, training as gladiators, cleaning and filling the baths, building and repairing damaged property, watering and tending the gardens, irrigating the crop fields, preparing the theatres, creating works of art and practical ceramics, preparing for sex work, 
undertaking both priestly and legislative duties in and around the city forum and all of the many, many other things not mentioned. For the rest of the morning, things would have continued as normal while the ash continued to rise and gather at the top of Vesuvius. Birds may have sensed that this was not somewhere that they should be right now and flew away from the volcano. Certainly things were not normal and Vesuvius was waking up alongside the residents of Pompeii and it was in a grumpy mood. The most famous contemporary account of what happened was by a young adult called Pliny the Younger. Pliny would give us an account of what happened on that fateful day in August 79 written for the Roman historian called Tacitus. We are thankful to Pliny the Younger for his writings that give us a window into Roman life and also the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. It would have been around lunchtime that Vesuvius would react in such a way that Pompey's fate would have been irreversibly sealed. It may have been that Pliny the Younger's uncle, namely Pliny the Elder, would have been travelling to Pompeii in order to witness the scientific intrigue of the mountain's activity. If the residents of Pompeii were not unsettled by the activity of the volcano in the morning, then the very sudden eruption would have certainly caused widespread panic in the city. pressure had been building and building right up until that morning when gas and ash had been leaking from the volcano. The molten rock soared up into the sky maybe 20 kilometres up into the stratosphere where it would venture outwards creating an ever-growing disk of dust and pumice. As the cloud expanded quickly it would soon start to take over the sky above Pompeii causing darkness to descend on the city. Then the first of Pompeii's real problems was about to start. The debris that Vesuvius had expelled into the sky that was now stretching out over the surrounding landscape started falling from the sky. Ash began to rain down on the city of Pompeii like thick snow settling on the ground. Some of the debris came down dangerously in large chunks capable of striking a man to the ground. For many of the residents of Pompeii this was absolutely plenty for them to pack their things and leave with haste. The quickest way to travel at this time was by boat so the fleeing residents of Pompeii would have considered heading for the coast with the natural destination being the harbour town of Stabia. Strangely, one man had opposite ideas. He was sailing for Stabia with an intention to observe firsthand what exactly was going on with this volatile mountain. It was Pliny the Elder. Not everybody left Pompeii. There may have been a few thousand who initially chose to stay in the city, possibly believing that the moment would pass and that life would return to normal, 
but with every minute that passed, more and more ash and debris fell from the sky. It was relentless, and it was building up inch by inch. It would not have been safe to stand out in the open, but then to stay under shelter would have been equally dangerous as there was a chance of being blocked in by the rising level of fallen ash. Some would have realised the futility of hanging around and made the later decision to abandon the city. Others would not have been able to bring themselves to leave, perhaps thinking of their livelihoods. If they could just stay sheltered until it was over then things would be okay. As the afternoon went on, residents were hastily trying to remove the build-up of debris from their roofs as the layer of ash was becoming heavier and heavier and buildings were now becoming vulnerable to collapse under the weight of the dispersal. As Pliny the Elder bravely tried to sail in closer to the volcano, he realised that the debris falling from the sky was becoming larger and hotter. He would only be able to sensibly go so close before he reached the limit of safety. Pliny decided to change course and head away to the seaport of Stabia. With large and hot debris now hurtling out of the sky, some of the buildings were now bursting into flames and never to be recovered. All the time the ash kept falling from the sky as ground level was rising significantly. Vesuvius still expelled more and more molten rock into the sky and it was more than the sky could even handle. The column of molten rock was now being pushed higher and higher into the sky as more and more debris expanded across the sky making it darker and darker. By late afternoon Pompeii looked like a war zone in an apocalyptic scene with lightning bolts now lighting up the cloud of debris, many buildings on fire and others collapsing under the sheer weight of debris and ash on top. Many would have been crushed or trapped while others stayed undercover hoping and praying for this nightmare to end. Pliny the Elder had arrived in the relative safety of Stabia where he bathed and dined while acting as a calming influence over those less academic individuals fearing that this was the end of the world. Many would have been arriving in Stabia from Pompeii, initially those escaping the ash storm descending from the heavens and then more fleeing a ruined city in flames. As night fell over the Gulf of Naples, the glow of fires were evident across the landscape as those in Stabia looked back across to Pompeii in the direction of the furious volcano still relentlessly propelling material high into the sky. Pliny the Elder would retire to his room to rest, but by now ash and pumice was raining down on Stabia as well. Pliny would surely have to abandon Stabia and head further out come the morning. However, there was much more drama to come before the morning. Sometime after midnight, the sheer density of the amount of material that had been ejected from Vesuvius was going to cause a physical problem. The column of material had had to reach higher and higher to accommodate the volume of molten rock, and now the weight of that column was going to trigger a collapse of material back down onto the volcano while still more material flowed upwards from the centre of Vesuvius. The collapsing debris 
rolled down the sides of the volcano, down onto the landscape, burning hot and travelling at speed across the ground. This was something called a pyroclastic surge. One of the closest coastal cities to Mount Vesuvius was a city called Herculaneum, on the coast of the Gulf of Naples. Herculaneum was just 7 kilometres west of the volcano, so it was almost on the other side to Pompeii. It is this difference of location that meant despite actually being closer to the volcano, Herculaneum did not experience the downpour of debris like Pompeii had done, because the debris in the cloud had drifted southwards, away from Herculaneum. However, this same fortune would not be afforded to Herculaneum during the first pyroclastic surge. Burning hot ash rolled down the sides of Vesuvius at speed and engulfed Herculaneum, carbonising objects and incinerating anything organic, including those who had chosen not to flee the city. All that remained to be discovered by archaeology was their bones. For those still in Herculaneum, for example sheltering in the boat shed, when the pyroclastic surge hit Herculaneum, their death would have been instant. Pliny the Younger, the nephew of Pliny the Elder who was staying in Stabia, viewed the drama of the pyroclastic surge from across the Gulf of Naples at the relatively safe city of Misenum. The 25th of August Uncle Pliny the Elder would have had to have abandoned his sleep during the early hours of the morning now that Stabia was experiencing the raining ash that Pompeii had been experiencing throughout the afternoon and evening of the previous day. Pliny the Elder was the guest of a Roman senator called Pomponianus in Stabia and Pomponianus had Pliny the Elder woken up in order to discuss their situation. More debris was falling from the sky and there was a concern that the buildings in Stabia may soon start collapsing. So they decided to leave Stabia with pillows tied to the tops of their heads for protection and make their way towards the shore where they could potentially assess whether the wind would favour a trip back across the Gulf of Naples to relative safety. In the meantime, people were choosing to return to Pompeii as the amount of ash and debris falling on the town was now slowing down. The city would have been almost unrecognisable. Many would have died as a result of the sheer amount of ash that fell on the city, and that's not to mention the destruction caused by the large burning hot pieces of volcanic rock that had struck buildings and set them alight. There would surely be no possible way to rebuild the city here, but if they could recover some belongings or plunder some loot, then they would be in a better position. The nighttime air would have been full of suffocating sulfuric material. Anyone with any breathing difficulties would have found the conditions to be extremely debilitating. Pliny the Elder decided to struggle down to the water's edge to find out if weather would allow him to sail back across the gulf to safety. So although Stabia was initially one of the safe havens of the residents of Pompeii, now it too was becoming buried in a thick layer of ash and pumice. 
the only thing that would stop the amount of material being pushed into the sky would be the collapse of the column of material above the volcano. Although there had already been one pyroclastic surge, while Vesuvius continued to expel more and more gas and molten rock into the sky, more pyroclastic surges would follow, and each would be more powerful than the last due to the sheer amount of material in the column. Pompeii was by now a wasteland. Few survivors and some who had returned were now helplessly attempting to find friends and family members possibly buried under the thick layer of ash now reaching two metres in depth. The amount of ash falling from the sky was becoming less, so some of the survivors would have been thinking about what they could salvage from this major disaster, maybe searching through the debris for family treasures or looting from public buildings that had been long abandoned during the cataclysmic conditions of the previous evening. These people would not have necessarily realised the nature of the pyroclastic surges speeding across the landscape like avalanches. They were so powerful and dense that they were even changing the shape of the shoreline beyond Herculaneum to the volcano's west. It is estimated that it was at about 1pm on the previous day that the first major eruption took place and within the hour huge amounts of debris was raining down on Pompeii causing the city to stop all normal ways of life and begin to panic for their lives. The whole of the rest of the day and night after was an alternative reality for all involved with refugees struggling from one settlement to another in a highly toxic atmosphere. Now the sun was rising on a new day where just 24 hours previous the residents of Pompeii were waking up to their usual routine of everyday life. Now that routine was gone and buried under two meters of ash. It would be now that the full horror of the approaching pyroclastic surges would have been visible to those stumbling around wondering what to do in Pompeii. They may have witnessed the surge now reaching the remains of the city walls threatening to engulf what remained. Pliny the Elder was resting and gasping for breath at the water's edge near Stabia. Just hours ago he was dining and preparing to go to sleep in the relative safety of the seaside harbour town of Stabia before his sleep was interrupted by the dangerous magnitude of material falling from the sky causing him to abandon his sleep and join others heading down to the water's edge with heads covered to avoid being struck down by a large piece of volcanic rock falling from the sky. The panic heightening their adrenaline levels and desperately trying to catch their breath in the unbreathable, poisonous air. Pliny the Elder needed to rest following this ordeal. Two slaves tried to lift Pliny to his feet, but it was all too much for Pliny, who collapsed back down and was unable to continue. Pliny the Younger would never see his uncle again, and across the gulf in Messenum, the sunrise, although very weak through the dense mist of volcanic clouds covering the landscape, still showed the complete alteration of the landscape like an abundant layer of snowfall. Pliny the Younger recognised 
the ever stronger pyroclastic surges were pushing more and more material across the gulf in the direction of the comparatively distant city of Misenum now and he chose to abandon the city and head away from the apocalyptic environment to safety. The most powerful of all the pyroclastic surges came at around 8am when the column above Vesuvius collapsed once more. This time the amount of material that surged down the sides of the volcano and across the landscape was more heavy, more dense and travelling at a velocity higher than the preceding surges. This time the surge would reach further than the previous ones including the one that had almost reached the city walls of Pompeii just a short time before. There may have been a thousand or two people that had survived the horrors of the last 24 hours and were still in Pompeii trying to work out how to move forward from this tragedy. It was at this point that the concluding event of the city of Pompeii was felt. The city and its survivors, which number about a thousand including people sheltering underneath collapsed buildings or trapped within debris blocked areas, was very suddenly engulfed by the largest pyroclastic surge of all, which swept across every remaining space throughout the city, burying everything under five metres of volcanic ash and snuffing out any remaining life in the city, wiping it and all memory of it completely from the landscape. 